Greetings, everyone in the USA, around the world, and welcome back to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, Series 1. I'm your host, Jason Rutledge. So this week, uh, Nathan and I are discussing a very serious take on the end of the world, the 1983 TV movie, The Day After. So if you ask anyone who was around in 1983, they probably have a story about when they watched this one. It really is one of those rare made-for-TV movies that is seared into our collective cultural memory. We hope you enjoy our take on this classic, and if you haven't seen it, you check it out, see what you think. We recorded this one back in January on the same day as we did the Savage Steve Holland episode, so our new friend Sophie the dog was still wandering around in the studio, so if you think you hear the sound of a collar jingle followed by a tail bonking into something, that's what that is. So on with the show. But before we get started, Steve Gutenberg has a warning for all of you. Hey, you can't see it, you can't feel it, uh, and you can't taste it. But it's here, right now, all around us. It's going through you like an x-ray right into your cells. What do you think killed all these animals? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Now it's now it's doing that thing. Okay, that's cool. But it wasn't doing the thing before. Okay. Which, so, which but that's a good me. thing that it's doing the thing. I should hope so. Damn technology! Technology has ruined our entire lives. You know that it's ruined everything it touched. That's what I hear. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna start off the usual way. You think we're going to say something like, "Welcome back to another shocking episode." Broadcast Shocking. from Old East Dallas of the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. Today we're talking about, what would you say, the feel-good movie of the 80s? The feel-good movie of 1983. Specifically November of 1983, the feel-good movie. And it's not Bob Fosse's Star 80. When did that come out? It wasn't in 1980. No, it was in 1983. Well, then why didn't they call it? Never mind. I don't want to know. Because it was, yeah. Because yeah. Anyway, yeah. Because uh, I don't even remember. It took it place about. in 80. Oh, okay. The end of it took place in 80. This yeah. is very confusing. At any rate. Anyway, we're talking about The Day After. Um, I have a personal connection to this movie just based on how old I was when I saw it, circumstances that were going on at the time when I saw it. Now, you mentioned earlier before we started recording that you may have missed out on this one. It came a little too early for you, and you caught up with it in later viewings. What, what, was, what was your impression of it when you saw it? in the context of when you saw it? Um, it was kind of forbidden for me to see it in its first run um, because I was like six going on seven, something mm -hmm. like that. But I watched it probably a couple of years later on home video, the NBC home entertainment release. And it was one of those things where my mom wouldn't let me rent it for the longest time. And then she kind of forgot about the movie, you know, and then later on she's like, Oh, it's got Steve Gutenberg. Okay. You could read it. Oh my God. Jason Robards <laughs> is in it. You know, that kind of thing. Joe Beth Williams, you love her. So, you know, so when I watched it, it was, it was pretty damn shocking. So I want to say it was probably like 85. Gutenberg sold mom on the whole idea. huh? <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. He well, was Gutenberg like, was, nobody knew who he was when this came out. I mean, Robards was the only somewhat, yeah. no, he, known actor. Really right. He time. was in between, the man who wasn't there in police academy. So police That's academy right. hadn't hit yet. And once it did, then he was like, his career was 80s. over. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we never heard from him. Never again. heard from him again. He never made a sequel. No, nothing. sad. Yeah. Very sad. Was yeah. he in screwballs or? No, 
but I bet he wish he was. He better wish he was. Well, that was a much, I wish been a much better career balls, path for him. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people missed out on that, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was not forbidden from watching this, but I, there were people in my class, I guess it was fifth grade, who were, and they were all very sad because everybody knew which kids had permission to watch it and which ones were not going to have permission to watch it. Oh, and there wow. was this whole great argument going on over why is, why is he allowed to and I'm not allowed to. And it really was, I can only put it in the context of where I was, which is northwestern Oklahoma where you simply didn't talk about anything. Uh, yeah. especially you didn't put the words nuclear and war in the same sentence. Otherwise you might terrify the children into going into comas or something, <laughs> you know, but there, it was unavoidable. You could not get away from this thing. I mean, even a little bit later, I think they were still on this track. They wouldn't talk about this stuff. I mean, the Duran Duran song, is there something I should know was banned from my middle school playground because they used this phrase nuclear war in the song and they thought it would terrify us all. Wow. I mean, that's how bad this got. There was an actual, like, plot yeah. against Duran Duran at your school. <laughs> a minor one, to be fair. Wow. Yeah, it didn't really wow. get very far. <laughs> but that's the kind of mentality we were dealing with. And it was absolutely absurd because everybody in my class, everybody in my school knew exactly what was going on. We knew the primary and secondary nuclear targets that were around us just based on where the Air Force bases were. We were not that sheltered. It was impossible not to know this stuff. Mm -hmm. It was impossible not to know very bad things were going to happen. The only thing we didn't get until after watching the day after was, are you going to be one of those who tries to survive or are you going to be one of those that runs as fast as you can toward the explosion and get it over with? And that's a really heavy thing to put on 11, 12-year-old kids, but that's that's where we were. That's, yeah, yeah. That brings back like the 50s anime scare mm -hmm. that kids went through in schools. I mean, that kind of 80s was a reaction to the 50s in a lot of ways. True. It brought back a lot of that. But mm -hmm. that's people have to people kind of forget this movie now, but it was quite it the was event. Huge. It was it was like built up for months, I think. As if I recall, yeah. I remember seeing news articles and magazines and TV spots mm -hmm. for Almost like a month or two. Well, it, it wasn't even that. I wouldn't call it shocking to anybody once we got into it and were watching it. But that was just because of when we were growing up and what we were dealing with. I mean, even to this day, when I hear a phrase like, there are missiles in the air, I go right back to that moment, 1983, 84, when you were just resigned to the fact that you were going to wake up one morning and it was all going to be done. Yeah. And that's, I wouldn't call it necessarily a PTSD response, but it just, you have that memory ingrained in you at all times. What was different about the day after was, yeah, they played this thing up for close to a year. I had never seen a promotion like it since for a television movie because everybody knew this thing was coming. Like February of 83, don't forget this November, the day after. And they put out booklets, they sent pamphlets out to everywhere to tell people about the movie and how to cope with what they saw. I believe ABC even set up special 1-800 lines for counselors that you wow. could call and talk about your experience after watching the that day after. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Which they, they didn't do for North and South, I don't think, for any other. <laughs> they didn't other, do it for the Thornbirds. They didn't do it for the Thornbirds. They really should have done it for the Thornbirds because that was, 
That was no kids should not have been watching the Thornbirds. I mean, Day After was pretty tame by comparison. But yeah, yeah, and let alone the sequel to the Thornbirds. Forget it. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I was still traumatized by the sequel to the Thornbirds. One thing that also made the Day After very different, I think, was that it was very extensively researched. Uh, Nicholas Meyer and uh, what was the producer's name? Let me check my notes. Papazian uh, spent months researching this thing because um, up to that point, you know, your usual nuclear apocalypse movie, all they really did for it was put a gigantic red-orange filter on the camera lens, maybe have some people rummaging through a gas station, maybe you run across Jan Michael Vincent every once in a while, but that was about it. This was much more grounded, and I think it was much more effective because of that. Uh, One story I read about it was they demanded to shoot on location in Kansas City, or close to Kansas City, to make it as real as possible. This wasn't going to be a backlot yeah. kind of thing. And they were talking to FEMA officials in Kansas City. Now, FEMA had only been an independent agency for maybe three years at that stage. I think Carter set it up. It was previously under, I think, um, housing and urban development or something like that and got broken off into its own independent agency in 79, I want to say. But they talked to these guys and asked them, "Is like, what is your plan for nuclear war? And all they could say was, well, we're thinking of putting evacuation plans in uh, the front of phone books. And I think we can uh, roll that out in the next six years. Wow. And they came out of this meeting declaring FEMA to be an absolute joke. Uh, it's like, you guys have no idea what you're going to be dealing with here. <laughs> well, nobody did. Right. Sort of like when we have an accident with a nuclear power plant, it's just... It happens so seldom we don't know what to do about it in reality. There's, yeah, there's no action. It's a reaction. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, production began August 16th, 1982, which is a, a good year before, and everybody knew this was happening. They were hiring locals, putting them in the makeup. I mean, there was no secrets going into this by the time it finally aired. Do you think that's part of why the promotion was rolled out as early as it was? Because just because... News, they had to? Yeah, <laughs> like they couldn't contain this. Yeah. That's a possibility. Um I mean, there's nothing, nobody was else was doing anything like this, as far as I know. I think... None of that magnitude. No, I mean, the no. closest thing you would get is probably, I don't know, China Syndrome, yeah, which came that, up that much, would be, much before. Yeah, 1979. But even that yeah. doesn't come close to what they were trying to do with this thing. No. They did rely very heavily on stock footage. Very, very heavily on stock. Some of which I recognized from... 16 other <laughs> movies easily. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I detected some sound effects from Six Million Dollar Man thrown in there and <laughs> a little bit of Battlestar Galactica stuff kind of dropped in there. Wasn't Battlestar an ABC production originally or was it? Yes, it was ABC, I believe. It was I believe. the yeah. entire year they spent making Battlestar Galactica. So it was Six Million Dollar Man. That's true. It? And, and that makes the guy sense who played now. Oscar Goldman is in this. No, he's not. I'm just he's kidding. not in this. No, I'm kidding. He's not. <laughs> No, every, practically everybody else. Everyone is, else is, including that, that we know first. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was I was really surprised when Flounder <laughs> showed up because Flounder shows up and he teams up with Doctor Lazardo and they are in the basement of whatever yeah. this junk pile that Flounder they go to school in. Classic comedy team. <laughs> it is. Well, I touched on this before we were started recording, and is like that is one problem I had with this movie is that you introduce a whole bunch of characters, we have no idea who they are. I don't know if we're supposed to. They get pretty conveniently vaporized about halfway through the movie, so we don't have to know who they are anymore. But it still seems kind of weird 
Well, it's a it's a disaster movie. So mm-hmm. if you look at like those three hour disaster films of the seventies, it should have that soap opera scope to it, and it uh, does rush the first like forty minutes. Like so many characters are introduced. They do. There's a lot of themes get introduced. They they lay it on a little heavy. I mean, we have the first forty minutes. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. They walk around in wheat fields, drinking their jugs of milk and. A lot of milk drinking in this movie, and <laughs> and, and stealing milk, and then and the resolving all story, their yeah. conflicts very quickly and quietly. It's not a problem, and then suddenly, bam, the missiles are off. But we do have heavy-handed stuff like kind of what happens in this scene between Jason Robards and his unnamed daughter. <laughs> I think is their relationship, who's about to move off to Boston. I'm gonna play this clip for you real quick and get your reaction to this. I'm moving to Boston. Oh. How come? See, that's why I didn't want to tell you right away. I have to deal with your hurt feelings and mom's. Not well, just... all I asked was why. Pop, it's time for me to leave home. But you haven't been living at home for two years. An apartment 26 blocks away isn't exactly Independence, Missouri, you know. Of course, uh, choosing Boston wouldn't have anything to do with, uh, what's his name? Gary. Gary, uh, starting Tufts Medical this fall. No. Well, (laughs) maybe a little. But it's not like we're going to be living together or anything. At least not right away. Growing up, it's like growing apart. Maybe it's a natural phenomenon. Have you told your mother? Uh, tomorrow. I thought I'd start with you and work my way up. Oh, I'm easy. <laughs> Easier. <laughs> it's not so easy, you know. What? Saying goodbye. Ooh. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> like when the audience doesn't know what's about to occur here. Yeah, it's a little much. And Robards gets most of the action in this movie. He's kind of the central figure. Yeah. Although it tapers off into other... Does it, though? Well, you get to... When uh, Steve Gutenberg goes to that house with the, the family, you learn mm-hmm. more about them. I mean, you've seen some of that stuff up you to do. that point, but it's they just touch on things. He meets throughout. up with the Northern Exposure guy and his <laughs> Cuckoo Nutso family living in the basement. B.B. Besh, who was in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, by Nicholas Meyer, by the way. Uh, I think that's the only connection between those two. Well, that's a good connection to have, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, you figure been, like, he could have had some of the other people in there, too. He didn't bring any of his so old many, uh, Invasion of the B-Girls staff on to, on to the day after? And, man, William Smith isn't even in this. Wow. <laughs> Just <laughs> cast them aside. Yeah. That's gratitude for you. Yeah, he could have been a pissed <laughs> off mayor or something, you know? Pissed off But we we do get a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, we have the couple that's about to get married, have the daughter who's about to move away to Boston to start her life, the pregnant woman who's overdue and are just about to give birth. I mean, we were just like the cop, who's two, the cop yeah. who's two days away from retirement, away from yeah. checking off every single box He's on the way down. too old for this shit, almost. <laughs> just about made it, but they, they pulled back. Showed a little bit of restraint. A little bit. But we do get a lot of exposition in that first 45, 50 minutes. 
which I believe was the section that ran with commercials. Well, that's right. They they ran the second half commercial free, which is now supposed to be this badge of honor, like we don't want to interrupt your viewing experience. What it means is they couldn't sell ad time. They couldn't find anybody who wanted to throw a Pampers ad in the middle of <laughs> all of this disaster, which would have seemed no, really, this really weird. This wasn't signing up for this. No, nobody thought to run an ad for like canned beans or something. And that would have been a good time. Rations. Nowadays, we would have no such shame about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apocalypse coming? Boston, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, alcohol ads or something. Well, they weren't running alcohol ads. That's true. Cigarettes, at least, maybe at that that time. No, I don't think they were running cigarette ads on television by then. By 83? By 83. I don't think they were. Some Virginia Slim commercials, some Salem commercials. Maybe. Beer, definitely. Yeah, okay. Well, you could have beer. Had a lot of those. Just not the hard liquor. That's a damn shame. That would would have been so many product tie-ins they could have dropped in this thing, so many product placements they could have done on that. Well, yeah, and well, it's time to reboot It's a remake this. of the day after. That's what we need to do. Yeah, <laughs> but make television the event that it used to go be. Go like the know? Friday route and go the day after, the next day after, or the day after yeah, next, or Friday something after like that. Friday after next, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something, get Omar Epps involved somehow in the Jason uh, Robards Mike role. Epps, Mike Epps, yeah, was yeah, it, yeah. Was it Mike Epps? Yeah, Omar Epps was different, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of setting up what we're supposed to experience in the back half of this movie... We do get a ton of exposition. We get a lot of people we, who we have never met before in the movie are suddenly experts on what's about to happen. I don't think we even figure out who exactly John Lithgow is supposed to be in this movie other than he's a science person yeah. of some nature who likes to hang out in barbershops. I, is he like some kind of professor of something? Like are he those was his a, students? I don't remember. I don't know. As far yeah, as yeah. I know. That's what it felt like. He was hanging out at the barbershop shooting his mouth off and then weaseled his way into the University of Kansas. They cut out that quartet sequence that he did in the barbershop, by the way. Did they really? Yeah. Was that restored for the theatrical release that they I released overseas, I perhaps? I think it was in the style of Five Neat Guys, by the way. <laughs> the, the four of them. Yes, yes, yes. I see, because the, uh, the other one died. Yeah. So I pulled a clip here of uh, possibly John Lithgow, possibly playing Dr. Lazardo pre-Buckaroo Banzai, doing his science thing in a barbershop with... Nobody asking. Just thought he'd throw it out. Make it pretty, Ollie. This is my last trim as a free man. Uh-huh. I'm getting married tomorrow. That's right. Yep. Well, congratulations. Well, who knows? The president's speaking on television at 6 tonight. Maybe he'll tell us something new. Well, they'll tell us what they want us to hear. Keep the panic at the low sweat stage. I really don't think either side wants to be the first to use a nuclear device. You know, it's not a question of who, but where. Over whose real estate? Say we explode a nuclear bomb over their troops on our side. The fallout had better not drift over to their side. They're crazy. How do they expect it's going to stop with just one bomb? You want to know what crazy is? Crazy's not staying out of other people's business. We shouldn't be over there in the first place. Well, maybe they'll contain it. After all, I've still got symphony tickets for tonight. The thing that bothers me is that damn launch on warning. What's that? That's when one side tells the other that they're going to fire their missiles as soon as they think the other guy's missiles are already on the way. You know, use them or lose them. What do you really think the chances of something like that happening way the hell out here in the middle of nowhere? Nowhere? (laughs) There's no nowhere anymore. You're sitting next to the Whiteman Air Force Base right now. That's about 150 Minuteman missile silos spread halfway down the state of Missouri. That's 
an awful lot of bullseyes. Well, thank you for throwing that in there, Joymaker. Um, <laughs> answering the question no one asked. Exposition. It yes. is a lot yes. of it. And like I said, we have no idea who this guy is other than he reads magazines at barbershops because he can't afford to get the subscriptions on his own, I suppose. But he is right. There wasn't any nowhere anymore. I mean, I was located at the time that this was on TV, I was located 90 miles away from an Air Force base, which is way too far for us to be a target. But we did have the nuclear train, I found out later. This was a train that was carrying either radioactive waste or some kind of nuclear material that would roll through town on its way to New Mexico. In the dead of night, we weren't supposed to know it was there, but a few people went out and shot video of it every once in a while. And I never saw the train in person, but I did see the video that was shot of it. And if you can imagine a series of unmarked boxcars with gun turrets on top rolling through your town in the dead of night, it's a little disturbing. Yeah. That's how close everybody is to this stuff, or was at the time anyway. Yeah. Where there were no missile silos around. But still, there was no getting away from this stuff. Kind of puts a damper on your day. And then something like the day after comes on <laughs> and sort of starts driving things home to you. But there's still really, what do you do with that information? And that's something that they never sure, yeah. quite addressed in this movie. You kind of got the feeling that the movie wasn't even made for you. It was made for somebody else, somebody who could make those decisions. Do you think this Perhaps. was very like a political move to make this movie? Like the it whole would seem backstory? like an odd choice. I mean, it is yeah, ABC. It is. it is just network television. But just, you know, let's keep the threat out there. Or Possibly, let's bring it know. home, literally home to people. It's it's really hard to say. I mean, you could say that they produced it for the prestige of producing it, which would be an odd choice to make. Like I said, they ran the whole back half with no advertising, so that wasn't in that wasn't on the table. But it was immensely successful. So you could look at it like I think the figures were something like a hundred million people. Wow. By their best estimate, watch this. And this was a, I don't know what the population was at the time. I, I don't know what the numbers for MASH were for the final episode of MASH, but it's it's up into that territory that we can't achieve anymore because we don't have, you know, only four channels to choose from these days. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you could either watch the day after or maybe, uh, maybe Three's Company was on or something like that if you wanted to. Yeah, you had, well, that, you had VHS too and beta, so maybe you had that. And beta, that's yeah. true. We did have beta. <laughs> yeah. But there, there was a theatrical version of this released, I think. Was it, I don't know that it was domestic though, international. No, it was yes, international, it was, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they petitioned for years to get it shown in the Soviet Union. Which, mm. And it took, a, I think it took about six years. Really? And they, so what, by the time the Cold War? Right about the ended, time it was yeah. all going to be over with wow. anyway. and Because the, the Berlin Wall came down my last semester of high school. And what did you have directly to do with that? I can't talk about that. Um, <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that I had anything to do with, with the Berlin Wall okay. falling down. I'm sorry. Okay. But that happened. And then on my driving on my way to move into the freshman dorms in college is when the Soviet Union officially collapsed. So everything started happening very fast. And no credit to this movie, I don't think, because they really didn't get it shown in the Soviet Union until middle of 89, I think. I could be wrong about that. I, had, I didn't put it in my notes. They tried. They tried to keep it going for a long time. And nobody did anything like this afterwards that I can remember. 
Well, I mean, we talked about threads prior to the recording. Threads, okay. Yeah. So neither yeah. of us have seen threads. Well, but I feel but like the, I've heard enough about it. Yeah. To say that the British really saw this movie and said, okay, how can we make this more horrible? Like, let's take every possible outcome of every scene and make it the most horrible outcome for that scene that we can possibly manage. Yeah, how real can we make this? And string this all together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember Threads as being particularly popular with the audience. Um, It's notorious. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And it's had this legendary status ever since that's kind of almost superseded the day after. Mm. And, and, you know, more of an underground fashion. Right. As people will bring that into the conversation. If you talk about the day after, it's like, yeah, but have you seen Threads? That's <laughs> the next step to the nth degree. Yeah. Mm. But then there was other, you know, kind of the doomy, gloomy movies beyond that where you had simple ones like, you know, well, you can have like outbreak type scenarios but then right. probably the closest one in terms of scope would maybe be the next year with red dawn uh, as an invasion type you know right. cold war type thing it's not of this magnitude but it's certainly in that no, vein but the it whole was, paranoia it was an interesting premise for sure and we your your hometown like the kansas and you know sure this, it's just gonna get suddenly locked. invaded by cubans yeah. for no apparent reason right 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 what I don't think the Cubans would have been all that interested in invading my hometown necessarily. They no, but if they had Ron O'Neill board, heading them like uh, very quickly. Superfly, you know, young blood priest ahead of them, you know, that <laughs> might be worthwhile. <laughs> but uh, no, but it's that. And then there was, I want to say, wasn't there another one? There was a lot of like, of course you had. You Doomer know, movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Playing out the doomsday scenario one way or another, for sure. Once the missiles have dropped in this fantastic sequence of, you know, people getting turned into x-rays, including a horse that was running in slow motion while it got blown up. Like we have, we're supposed to have a connection with this horse from before. I don't know who does. I felt sorry for him. I'm I'm sure, but you know, yeah, it could have been Mr. Ed. We don't know. In a blast of quickly edited stock footage, including a really good looking nuclear explosion, which was, I think shot in the same cloud tank where they did the Mutara Nebula for Wrath of Khan. Oh, wow. I believe it was exactly the same one. We get this spectacular sequence, and then the amount of dialogue you get between the characters starts to drop off slowly. They're talking less. They're grunting a lot more, staring at the ground, and just sort of dissolving, especially in the case of Robards, who really starts dissolving by the end of the movie. Civilization is over. It's done. Yeah. and we get these spectacular sequences like what happens in uh, Northern Exposure Guy's Basement. I can't remember the character's name. Oh, I couldn't tell you. So I don't think they even mention it once, other than his daughter was supposed to get married, engaged in premarital sex, yes. which is never explicitly said in the movie, but heavily, implied, heavily hinted yeah. at. <laughs> yeah. And then goes completely bonkers. Runs only, outside. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll play that clip for you because it's, it's kind of funny but kind of disturbing. What is it? Day or night? Day, I think. What day? It's Thursday. 2.30. wonder if it's sunny out. I can't remember. Can't remember what? 
It's only been five days, and I can't remember what Bruce looks like. And now we've all been through a lot, sitting here in the dark. What are we doing down here anyway? It's all over, isn't it? It smells so bad down here, I can't even breathe! Now listen, Denise, you get a hold of yourself. Now you know that we cannot go out of here. Why did I have to use that thing? We'd be married by now anyway. Why didn't I at least get pregnant? Just pipe down, Denise. Because now I can't even see his face! I can't see anything! I can't see anything! I can't see anything! Denise, now just calm down. Get hold of Let go away! I can't see! You can't! Don't go in there! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I'll get it. I owe you. So to be fair, I mean, we last saw Bruce 20 minutes before in this movie, and I couldn't remember what he looked like either. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I didn't by even this know his point, name was I'm Bruce, thinking, honestly. Yeah, I was thinking like, uh, I don't know, Bruce Lee. I mean, I, for a moment, oh, I was trying to remember. Yeah. Because there were so many Bruce Lee clones that... Right, they had that farm in the Amazon. Know, I'm thinking, right is here. it like Dragon Lee that she's talking about? I don't, I don't yeah. know. No, no, not at all. Anyway. Wait, the last dragon came out after this, right? Uh, yeah, that was 85. Or they call, they call me Bruce, may have been what she was thinking of. Right, that was 82. <laughs> and they so still that, call me yeah, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, so she was thinking of Johnny Yoon. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she was channeling her Margot Hemingway. Yeah. Why didn't I have a baby with Johnny Yoon when I had the chance? <laughs> That's what most women say, I think. I think if you go back to that era, most women would agree. And I, maybe I, you were too, but I was really, really wanting when she jumped up and started screaming to have a replay of the scene from airplane where they're just shaking her and telling her to get a hold of herself and smacking her around. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 That comes up with the wrench. <laughs> and gloves. They get the lineup of people ready to go. Now yeah. that, now you got a movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, it just gets more and more depressing as the movie goes on and you get that sense of it. This isn't going anywhere good. Well, that scene tape, it goes into this hole where Steve Gutenberg chases her mm-hmm. into the, field and it's pretty depressing when you see all the livestock dead Dead. and covered in ash and he's trying to explain to her you can't see it it's still it's out there it's going through you you're Mm -hmm. you know you can't smell it right you can't can't hear it it. you can't taste it yeah (laughs) you can't put it in your pocket yeah (laughs) sounds like a buzzcocks song or something oh yeah yeah no, anyway. if the day after it had a soundtrack album released, they could have put the Buzzcocks, <laughs> the Buzzcocks on there and been yeah. perfectly fine, I think. Something's would gone wrong again would be the theme song, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we have her moment of hysterical blindness, rescued by Steve Gutenberg in his, was he wearing track shorts? I don't remember if he was wearing track shorts. No, at the time he was not doing a Can't Stop the Music <sighs> See, another, another missed opportunity by yeah, the producers yeah, of the day yeah. after. They really didn't do a very good job, did they? <laughs> Well, in terms of, well, really, in terms of being a dramatic movie in and of itself, it doesn't really work that well, I don't think. It's just, you, like we said, they have too many plot lines that just sort of conveniently get well, flowed to bits. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, was this proposed as a miniseries? I think like it, it was. It should have I think been it was originally, because there's so many threads introduced, no pun intended, but yeah. they're of, <laughs> that you think they're going to follow through on a lot of this. And it, well, it was sort of like... The problem we've seen with some other movies where it was originally planned as a two-night event yeah, and was written that way and shot that way. And yeah. then they decided later on that it needed to be 
a one night event and had to cut like 45 minutes out of this movie. And that's when Nicholas Meyer and his editor walked out because they didn't want to have to deal with this. They were dealing with censorship from ABC who suddenly got skittish about a nuclear war movie because apparently they had no idea what they were getting when themselves they, yeah, into when at they first. did the red light on that. Yeah. Yeah. Or green light rather. But it took, they was in editing for something like six months before they brought Meyer back because he was the only one who had put together any version that worked. And he managed to get it down to about the two hour version that we have. I didn't know any of that. So that he had to make the serviceable version, a serviceable version, which may explain some of the gaps as to who these people are, why we don't get, not that I particularly wanted a whole bunch more backstory on these guys, but like you say, in the dramatics of it, yeah, you don't play through a lot of that stuff. And why am I supposed this to care about to, this person? You know, that right. kind of thing. This could go back to what you're talking about, the advertising aspect of mm. it, to where if you do a two-part, a two-night event, mm-hmm. well, the second part is going to be probably the, it's going to be the actual main event and then the aftermath. Mm-hmm. So who would want to sell advertising for that two-hour block? <laughs> a shameless, shameless man would want to sell advertising <laughs> for that There you go. Block. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's probably what it came down to, where ABC mm. kind of got you know, cold feet over it because they're like, well, initially maybe they did propose it as a two night event. And now how do we do that? Ah, that could be. And also the blowback after this airing was really something else as well. We'll get to that in a minute, but one last clip to depress everyone out of their minds would be the message. What is the message Mm, of the day? They have to like put a pin in it and they leave that up to our possibly pregnant, maybe not pregnant anymore hospital patient who really lays it out there for everybody and tells you this is what you're supposed to think after the day after. Maybe that's why you two weeks overdue. If you were in utero and you had any choice about the matter, would you be dying to be born into a world like this? Do you think your baby's deciding whether or not to be born? Do you think I'm holding back by force of will, Dr. Oaks? Bad toilet training. No, I think you've got to be willing to let your baby come whether you like it or not. You're holding back hope. Hope for what? What do you think's gonna happen out there? You think we're gonna sweep up the dead and fill in a couple of holes and build some supermarkets? You think all those people left alive out there are gonna say, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't my fault. Let's kiss and make up. We knew the score. We knew all about bombs. We knew all about fallout. We knew this could happen for 40 years. Nobody was interested. I can't argue with you. Argue with me. Please. Give me a reason. Tell me about hope. Tell me why you work so hard in here. I don't know. Ooh, this comes pretty close to the end of the movie too, where she name drops the famous Joan Collins movie. I don't want to be born (laughs) for no reason that I can figure out. And why is it Donald Pleasance in this too? He's not in this one. There's no dwarf that's cursed her or anything. It was. was And Joan Collins was on dynasty at the time, right? That's true. She could have guest starred in this. Mm. Maybe they got blown up. Maybe. Well, she was like, well, if bird eye Gordon isn't doing it, I'm not interested. Yeah. There's not giant ants. Could be. Yeah. So we've laid out the heavy message. And from this point forward, 
whoever hasn't died in the movie dies pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, Northern Exposure guy gets blasted with a shotgun for reasons, and he dies. Uh, Robards continues to disintegrate until he makes his way back to his original house and collapses in the dust. And the movie draws to a merciful conclusion, followed by a, tr- a crawler that goes into how they made this movie with the hopes that it would open up people's eyes and people in charge would do the right thing. Needless to say, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> well, later, years later, Spike Lee did the right thing. He did the right thing, yes. That had nothing to do with nothing this. Nothing to do with no. this, no. He missed the mark completely on that one. But <laughs> no, there's there are some apocryphal stories that Reagan watched the movie and it prompted him to want to do something about nuclear armaments. There's no... Nothing to back that up, though. There's no documentation. There's, I mean, there was a story going around that Nicholas Meyer received a telegram from the White House, which Meyer has since denied that it ever happened. And so whether or not the movie really had any long-lasting impact, we'll never really know for sure. What we do know is that some people really, really, really did not like this movie very much after it came out. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a downer. Uh, was this on a Sunday night? Was I don't like- remember... But the New York Post accused Nicholas Meyer of being a traitor for directing this movie. Um, The National Review, of all people, accused the movie of promoting unpatriotic ideas. What, survival mode? Well, most of this was because they deliberately obscured who shot first. Right, because it's a fable. I mean... Yeah, and this was a very conscious choice on their part, so... The U.S. military didn't want to be involved in helping out with this movie unless it was made clear that they were not responsible. So they just said, okay, we're going to do our own thing. Thank you very much. We got our stock footage. We're done. Yeah. But yeah, that was a a major sticking point with a lot of people was they thought because it wasn't expressly said in the movie that the Soviets shot missiles first, then it must have been the U.S. And therefore the people who made this movie are traitors to our country and promoting unpatriotic ideas is a very, very touchy subject. Yeah. Now, I I kind of agree with the idea that they should have obscured it because it doesn't matter. Right. It's just the situation and how to deal with it and the aftermath. That's that's the story. Right. And there, they even had, a, right after the movie aired, there was a special episode of a show called Viewpoint that's not around anymore. I think it was maybe developed just for this, hmm. where Carl Sagan gave his now famous talk about nuclear armaments where he described it as two men locked in a room soaked with gasoline arguing over who has the most matches. Okay. That was the point of what they were getting at, not necessarily the fine details. Who did what? Who Who, did what? It doesn't matter. Once it's done, it really doesn't matter at all because Robards is going to get killed. (laughs) He'll never make parenthood. It's just just a very sad thing. (laughs) And he's like, you know, it's bad enough. I already went through something wicked this way comes. And now something more wicked comes (laughs) and takes me out. You know, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen something wicked this way comes. Oh, that's great. It's, it's great October viewing. Not just the fact that it's Halloween. It's not really Halloween related, but it's the fall. Mm. Oh, okay. Very October. Yeah. Watch it. Pam Greer. Pam Greer's in it. Jonathan Price is brilliant in it. Jonathan Price. Well, you, you sold me a Pam Greer. Yeah. So. That's the day after. I really, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Um, I don't think it's the kind of thing that, you know, you're, it's a Friday night and you're sitting on the couch with a girlfriend thinking, what do you feel like watching tonight? It's the answer is never going to be the day after. (laughs) Well, yeah. But the other thing too is 
we grew up around this movie, or you mm-hmm. more so than I did. I mm-hmm. mean, I came into it a little bit later, but I remember the mania surrounding it. Sure. And like you touched on how who could see it, who couldn't, what kids in your class was able to see that it. fear and of missing that, out on. And then you would hear the stories, the playground stories the next yeah. day or so about, oh, well, what happened? And it was always, this is one of those instances where, you know, kids would exaggerate things greatly yeah. when they would tell you, like, and they may not have even seen the film, but in this case, when you watch it, you're like, that's ah, pretty spot on, whatever mm-hmm. I'd heard about it. Um, but I would revisit this as kind of a, maybe you can get in the eighties trend, but it's of that moment and it was an event and Mm -hmm. I love Nicholas Meyer. So in that sense, I'll revisit it, but, but yeah, it's not, it's not your feel good movie, you know? No, as far as apocalypse movies goes, it is one of the better ones. I would put it up there with, as far as realism goes, I would kind of put it up there with on the beach Yeah, or Damnation Alley. No, not Damnation Alley. Well, <laughs> that's <no>. that's <laughs> far more realistic now. Although they did use stock footage from Damnation Alley did in this really? movie. Yeah. Nice. You have to look that's, sharp for that's it. That's another but it's mark in there. for it. Wow. Very cool. We're recycling the apocalypse over and over and over again. Very good. And with that, I think we're done talking about the day after. I'm certainly done watching it. That's right. I think we're done watching it. Be kind and rewind. Yes. <laughs> Sing if you want to live long They have no use for your song You're dead, you're dead, you're dead You're dead and out of this world You'll never get a second chance Plan all your moves in advance Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead Stay dead and out of this world That's it. The show is over. Thank you for listening. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com. Enjoy the rest of your day. Don't ever talk with your eyes. Sure that you compromise, you're dead.